0: Okay, let's uh, turn in our Bibles, shall we, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, if you're using the Bible um, in the pew, got pew chair, then um, it'll, you'll find it on page 1150, 1150. Uh, we're continuing in our kind of studies on Sunday mornings uh, in this book, the book of Corinthians in the New Testament. Uh, we're thinking about uh, the subject, whose supper is it anyway today? We're thinking about the Lord's Supper, something we're going to do together a little bit later on in the service. This is the last one on Corinthians for. Uh, uh, three weeks after this we're going to be spending three weeks thinking about one of our core values uh, the, the need to be involved in mission in different ways so that's the next kind of three weeks we're going to be looking at that we thought that it would be good every through every year once a quarter to visit one of the core values of Portsmouth Church uh, and just see what well, the biblical basis of that is and how it should work out in our lives so that's what's coming up uh, in the next three weeks but for today today we're in uh, chapter 11 one, one, five, two. And as uh, I'm sure most of us will know, Paul has been helping these Christians in this church in Corinth through some particular issues. And now in this section, ver- chapters 11 through to chapter 14, he's getting to help them think about how they are, how they should be as they meet together as a community to worship God together. Last time we saw how he starts off actually quite gently, really, talking about how men and women are to be leading worship in the the kind of gatherings that they had, that men and women should lead in distinctive ways. The the Corinthians were doing some things that they thought were pretty good, pretty cool, um, but actually, as Paul says, what you're doing, guys, is really dishonouring Jesus and dishonouring one another, and that's in the first part of chapter 11. Now he goes on to talk about some other areas of concern, some other things that are troubling him. And now, actually, rather than being quite gentle, he is extremely blunt. He's very forthright in what he's uh, going to say. It clearly, uh, what's coming next matters uh, a great deal to him. If, if, if you like, the previous stuff was, well, that's important, but you know, th- this, is, uh, this is much more important, if I can say that. Because in verse 17 to 18, let's look at it. In the following directives, he says, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Woo, (laughs) don't spare us anything, Paul, you know, tell us what you think, won't you? (laughs) Your meetings are doing more harm than good. Why is this? In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. Divisions. Now we've heard about divisions before, haven't we? It's been one of the areas that has stalked the Corinthian church. One of the, 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 the problems that they had right from the beginning. We heard about how groups of them would form around different kind of celebrity teachers, Bible teachers or, or, or particular uh, leaders that they loved uh, more than other leaders. We've heard, heard as well about how they've been at war with each other in court. They've been taking each other to court. Remember that? That was earlier on in the letter. In lots of ways, we've seen that the culture of their life in Corinth, as a Roman colony uh, in, the, in that time, was just shaping their life together. The culture of their city was shaping their community life. And this was even affecting the way they were when they met together as one group of believers. And Paul wants them to know how to be a worshipping community, a a loving community, as we'll see in in, uh, chapter 13, a a, a Jesus-filled, God-filled community. And he wants them to know that. And he's saying at the moment, boy, you're a long way off of that, and I want to help you get there. So all of these these chapters, 11, 12, 13 and 14, are, are all about how they are as they meet together. And I want us to think, to start with, about this idea of meeting together. How important it is. Now what do we know? Uh, about it you see it, for us for some of us it's been part of church life for generations you know uh, some of us grew up with the idea some of us uh, even can remember when most people in england went to church it was part of our national life and maybe the country you came from uh, that is also true or not i don't know but it's not like that now and perhaps we just kind of think well what's it all about what do we know about meeting together in the early church? We know that the early church, in the very first few uh, days of the church, his life, they met together in Jerusalem. We read about it in Acts 2. They shared together, they learned together, they prayed together, they broke bread, they had food together, they had common Uh, possessions they they kept to the Jerusalem prayers they were in Jerusalem remember after Jesus rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit came Uh, there they were in Jerusalem and they went to the temple and they had prayers in the temple and all that kind of stuff later in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 20 uh, we read uh, of Paul uh, and his group meeting with a bunch of, uh, of Christians and it says there in Acts 20 verse 7 if you're taking notes or you look it up later It talks about how they come together on the first day of the week to break bread, to to share this bread and this this wine, this this juice that we use uh, together. And it seems as if they did that on the first day of the week and remember that story Paul goes there and and they're all slaves or some of them are slaves they don't have Sunday off but they took time to do it until they met in the evening and one of them fell asleep remember a very hot evening in a Greek summer's night falls asleep by an open window falls down and a guy called Eutychus remember that story? Eutychus only mention of Eutychus in the whole Bible and he fell asleep in church and had to get raised from the dead you know imagine being Eutychus go to heaven you know oh you're Eutychus you're the one that fell asleep in Acts chapter 20 (laughs) Oh, yeah but well, that's all we know about you so you can find out more from him later but but you remember that story the first day of the week there they were meeting together as that was their custom hebrews 10 25 says we should not give up meeting together 1 corinthians 16 later we'll see paul says to the corinthians on the first day of the week put money aside so that you can give it to the lord um that's a bit more about that later so running through these chapters that we'll be looking at, so we were looking at last week, this week, and then in a few weeks' time, is this really important point. There's a central backstory to it. And that is that meeting together matters. It really matters. It's important. See, Paul is helping the Corinthians to be a community. He's later going to call it, in chapter 12, a body. And we're gonna, he's going to explore what that means to be a body. But for now, he's saying, you need to learn how to function when you come together. You need to realise that meeting together matters. It's not some add-on, some optional extra, something that you could do providing there's nothing else on. Being together is part of our Christian experience. When God brought us to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we became believers, then we become incorporated into a community of believers and those believers meet together. And as believers, we meet with one another. That's kind of running right through these chapters. It underlines it all. Now, here's the question. Do we believe this? Is our culture actually pushing us away from this? Either in our heads, you know, because we we rightly say, we don't have to go to church every week. You know, that was the old days. It's our culture saying in our heads, well, it doesn't really matter. Or practically, we're just too busy. And I don't know what we do about that. It's something you can talk about, we can talk about in our house groups and so on. We're just plain too busy. But let me ask you a question. How can we grow together as a community If meeting together matters, how can that happen if any of us who actually has a choice about it can only make it together one Sunday out of three? How's that going to work? Think about it. Can we have a conversation about this? Is Sunday morning the best time to meet together? Would it be better to do it at another time, maybe with the same material? Or another time in addition, if we can't make it on Sunday mornings? We do live complicated and difficult lives, but running through it is this idea that meeting together really matters. So all through these chapters, let's be asking the question, what do these chapters teach us about being body together as a whole group? Because there's more to it than simply being in the same space on a Sunday morning, or even in a house group. It's, more of, it's about more than that, as we shall see in chapter 12. But it must surely include meeting together. Well, let's read verse 17 to 22. <coughs> and see, first of all, what's wrong with these gatherings that they're having. We've read Paul saying quite... Um, yeah, you know, goes straight for it. Your meetings do more harm than good. And then he says there are divisions. Verse 19, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, verse 20, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. Now, just as I pause, I don't want to say a lot about this, but... There's a lot of kind of discussion about what the Greek and stuff actually means here. So um, it, it, it's a little bit, but, but the, the main punch of it is clear enough, as we shall see. Each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. This is a key thing. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Whew, again, pretty clear. Shall I praise you for this? No, says Paul. He's really telling them, isn't he? The meetings do more harm than good. Paul says, you may call it the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Dinner, as it's uh, kind of, you might call it, You may call it that. You may think what you're doing is for the honour of Jesus Christ as the Lord, your Lord. Yeah, sure, you're sharing the same space together, guys, he's saying. Yeah, you're saying the right right words, maybe. You're doing the right things. but, But actually, look at what he says in verse 22, second half of 22. Do you despise the church of God? The gathering, the ecclesia, that word means not the building or even the institution. It means the coming together, the group, the the, the gathered people of God. He said, you say you're having the Lord's Supper, but you're actually despising the God's community. What on earth could be going wrong? Well, as he says, there are divisions, but you see, these divisions... We're well, not just like the ones we read earlier about, you know, he's my favourite teacher or, or this is the one I, I go for or my idea of who's the most spiritual is this and it disagrees with you or, you know, I'm going to take, I've taken you to court because you haven't paid me for the work you've done. But this is, that's, not all, that's not it. There's something else, actually, something even worse going on. Because part of the gathering of part of what they did at the center of their church life was this meal. They called it the Lord's Dinner, the Lord's Supper. It was based on the Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And the Passover meal started with bread, it had bread at the beginning and a number of cups through the meal, lots of things. You can you can have Passover meals and, and ask somebody who knows about that They'll explain it all to you. The Jewish Passover meal that they were celebrating. And then uh, one of the cups at the end, I think it was the last cup, was called the cup of blessing in the Passover meal. And the Corinthians, uh, and it seems like the early church took, as Jesus took the loaf at the beginning of the meal, as we shall see, uh, kind of used that to make a very powerful point about his death. And he took the last cup in the Passover, the cup of blessing, and and use that to make a very important point about his death as well and what appears to have happened in in the early church the way they did it was they'd have a meal together so you'd come and and you'd you'd have the bread at the beginning and then you'd have the meal together and then you'd have the the cup at the end it was like a kind of um, well it was a meal together except it wasn't together it was kind of like a a bring and share (laughs) with one crucial exception there was no share Okay, you just brought it along. So some people in this meal together that was in the middle of the bread and the and the wine being shared, some of the people brought loads of stuff along. You know, picnic hampers, you know, everything they needed, several bottles of wine and everything. And they proceeded, you know, after the bread was, so they proceeded to eat them with their families or whatever. Uh, and some people had nothing. They just sat there watching the others. That's what some of the experts uh, tell us is going on. It does seem to make sense uh, with uh, the words in, in this passage. Another possibility could be that they were meeting in homes, and we've, uh, you know, there are archaeological re- remains of homes in Corinth, and you can see a, 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 a rich person's home in Corinth, which was, would have been where, if the church met together and it met in a home, it would obviously be been one of the bigger homes, Even the biggest villas that we have, uh, or we have got kind of remains of, there was a dining room. I can't remember the name in Latin off the top of my head, it's not in my notes, but it was called something, in in Latin. Uh, And that was a a kind of dining room where you could maybe get about a dozen people. Uh, And then there was the atrium, which was like the courtyard Uh, where you could get quite a lot more people. Some people think another thing that may have been happening was that the the, the rich people all went into the dining room and had a slap up meal and got drunk and then then the the poor people were outside in the atrium just hanging out until it was time for the next part of the communion. But whatever it was, you can see what Paul is uh, talking about, can't you? Those with nothing, he says in verse 22, were being humiliated. That's the point. So there was this division between rich and poor, between the haves and the have-nots. And that was right in the very heart of their worship. When they came together as God's people to share this meal, right in front of them was this appalling kind of division of rich and poor. That was what was going on. How come that could happen? Well, In some ways, the Corinthians were just uh, being Corinthians. If you go into the um, background, in Roman society, there were different kinds of dinners. There were what were called public dinners, and there were private dinners. And sometimes there was a mixture of the the, the both. And in private dinners, you did that. You bought your own stuff. And it was only available to certain people. In a public dinner, everyone had the same amount. Sometimes they were called free dinners. And there's one of the... um, Kind of contemporary writers talks about anyone who goes late to a free dinner must be stupid because obviously everyone went to the free dinner and ate it all at once. So so they've got these private dinners and they've got these public dinners and what the people in Corinth were saying is the Lord's supper, God's meal, the dinner we have as our gathering, that's like a private dinner, and we'll run it like a private dinner, so the rich people've got plenty. And the poor people have got nothing. Now, there may be reasons for that. Um, some of the, uh, again, some of the contemporary <coughs> historians will tell us that there was around this time a huge famine uh, that was affecting the area. There were food riots in Corinth um, in, in beyond AD 50 uh, and some of those years after that. And it may well be that people were justifying, saying, well, you know, we've got our food. If we give our food away, then we won't have enough for our family back home. So there could have been real reasons for it. But whatever the reason, that was what was happening. Division. You see, what was happening was that these Corinthians, they were saying, we're loyal to Jesus they're saying Jesus is our Lord they're saying we want to meet in Jesus honour but actually in reality their kind of loyalty to Jesus was just like a you know it's like a bit of veneer you know, of, you know what veneer is you a know, bit of chipboard with a very thin bit of good wood on the top so our loyalty to Jesus is just like the veneer on top and underneath we're just the same old Corinthians as everybody else hey wonder whether we could be like that Is our loyalty to Jesus, just like a paper-thin veneer on top of what we are really underneath. Well, that was what was wrong. Verse 23 to 27 go on to tell us why it's so wrong. And Paul says, look, (laughs) just look at what you're missing here. And he takes them back to where this meal came from. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Why is it so wrong? Look what you're missing, says Paul. Let's go back, says Paul, to, to what this is all about when you come together for the Lord's meal, the Lord's dinner, the Lord's supper. And this actually, these words, written probably in about AD 55... Uh, the oldest written down words that we have of the Last Supper. Because, of course, this is written before Matthew, Mark and Luke wrote their Gospels. But it shows us that the accounts, uh, the, the words that Jesus spoke were, were handed on and passed around and people knew exactly what he said. Uh, you might think, well, how's that? You know, some of the, I mustn't must digress, some of the kind of liberals back in 50, 40 years ago, you'd say in school, yeah, but, you know, he could have been changed. Uh, if some of you live in cultures where most people don't read or write, how do, you, how do you survive? Your memory is fantastic, isn't it? And these early believers, if they didn't write, uh, they knew the words that Jesus said because they, 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 they'd heard them, they remembered them, they taught them. Luke later researches it and writes it all down. Mark researches it from Peter, <coughs> writes it all down. This is one of the earliest accounts that we have here, just a few years, what, uh, 15, 17 years after the event, here it is in print in our Bible, written on a papyrus in those days. But look what Paul says, Lord, so many times it's the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus, I receive from the Lord. You proclaim the Lord's death. Whoever eats the bread or drinks a cup of, of the Lord. It's the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. It's this word that, that called kurios. It's the, the Greek word that um, is used in the Old Testament for God, for the Lord. When the f- first believers back in the book of Acts, their first message was Jesus Christ is Lord. That's one reason we've got it up there. That was the first kind of big Christian kind of statement about Jesus. And when they said Lord, they knew that Kyrios was what the Greek uh, Old Testament version had for God. The Romans said in Greek, there's no other Lord than Caesar. Caesar was meant to be Lord. So when Jesus is proclaimed as Lord, he's uh, a competitor to Caesar. And the Corinthians would have known that. Actually, if you look into the background in Acts... Paul was thrown in prison. Sosthenes, one of the guys at Corinth, got beaten up because of his loyalty to the lordship of Jesus. And Jesus says, look, he is Lord. Paul says, look, Jesus is Lord here. And he reminds them about what Jesus says about his death. Central in his teaching. How at that Jewish Passover family meal, this Passover, which was all about God's rescue... How Jesus took the bread at the beginning of the meal and said, Look, this my body for you, he says. And all of his disciples ate it. He said to them, keep doing this in remembrance of me. That's what Paul says, there's a continuing thing. Keep doing it, says Jesus to his disciples, in remembrance of me. Do it because of me. Do, Do it to celebrate what I have done. Do it to remind yourself about me. Do it to to realise afresh that my death, my body is given for you. When I died, says Jesus, he was about to die, as I go now, I am doing it for you. It should be you on the cross, but it's going to be me. It should be you judged by God, says Jesus, but it's going to be me. It's for you. He's quoting, uh, alluding to Isaiah 53. And then, says Jesus, at the end of this Passover meal, this cup is now the cup of the new covenant the jews were expecting a new covenant it had been promised in the old testament jesus says this new covenant is possible because of my blood not the blood of some sacrifice not the blood of an animal but because of me who i am the lord i've given my blood so that there is this new covenant just to, you can turn to it if you want but i just want to read you a reference it's in jeremiah to the new covenant as it's promised in the Old Testament. Um, it's Jeremiah 31, uh, verse 31. Just listen, this is God speaking. He says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant That was the the Passover meal Jesus is celebrating, and when he he said what he said, was that very uh, celebration of that very event. They broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. See, the promise was that there was a time coming when all God's people would know him. Would know him for themselves, would have a relationship with him would know what it is to have his truth in their hearts, not just kind of on the page of a book or in their memories, but actually God changing them by his truth in them. That was what was promised. And when Jesus took that cup, he said, it's the new covenant. It's here. It's in my blood. It's because of my death. And it made me, they were reminded, what was the last words of Jeremiah? From the least to the greatest, for all of them. But what were the Corinthians doing? <laughs> well, they were divided. They said the least can... Boy, it doesn't matter about them as long as the greatest are okay. See what Paul is saying? He's saying what you're doing as you actually take this meal contradicts what it's all about. That's what he's saying. The Lord who gives his life freely... And yet, you hold on to your food and you won't share it with the poor people in your own fellowship. That's what Paul is saying. So, what we are together matters. It matters here and now. As the new covenant community, we're supposed to be different to our culture. The divisions between us, the divisions, like in those days, that's why Paul says there shouldn't be any such thing now. In one sense, as, as slave and free, as male and female, as rich and poor, we could take any of those those divisions. They have to go. So the way we eat this meal together, the way we are as a community together, really matters. It matters. Our divisions have to go. Or we'll be sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. What Paul is saying is that if you don't do that, if you let these divisions stay, if you don't live in a way consistent with this, you're the same as if you were unbelievers, basically. You might as well not be believers at all. Notice it does say, in an unworthy manner. Paul is talking about the way they did it. He's not saying to them, are you worthy or are you unworthy? Uh, This has troubled uh, Christians over the ages. The AV said, eat the bread or drink the wine unworthily. And people would think, well, I'm not worthy to take this. That's not what Paul is saying. None of us are worthy. None of us have any right in one sense to be here. We can only be here because of Jesus. Jesus. But we can do it, we can, as it were, be in a community. We can live our lives as community together in a way that is unworthy as we come. And that's what Paul is talking about. It's talking about the way we are, the way we come, the way our community is. OK, what's the solution then? Finally, verse twenty seven to thirty four. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man or a woman, it's a general thing, a person ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. That means died, by the way, not uh, dropping off in the message, although I won't mention any names, obviously. but We, we can see up here, you know. <laughs> but it is very hot, and I know some of you are very tired, so that's okay. And sometimes it's my fault as well. So verse 30. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined, so that we will not be condemned with the world So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, you should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. How do we find the way back then? What's the kind of solution or or, or the, what do we do? Well, verse 28, it says that we, each of us should examine ourselves. The idea of testing, a bit like testing a metal. Um, I, I believe you can test gold, is it, by biting it? Is that right? And if it's real gold, it's soft. Is that right? I said this to my brother. When I was about a teenager. I said that to my brother once. We had a gold sovereign or something. He took it and bit it. There's a big dent in it ever since. So whether that meant it was real gold or false gold, I don't know. But anyway, this idea of testing gold or testing metal. And what Paul is saying, look, think about your behavior. Think, am I approaching this meal Am I in this community with behaviour that contradicts what Jesus has done, particularly in my relationships with other believers? That's what seems to be the thing. Notice as well, Paul says, it's for each person to do for themselves. It's not up to me to examine you or the person next door to examine your heart. It's up to me to know my heart before God. That's why we say here... We don't say you're not allowed to take it unless you've, you know, done a membership course. It's up to you. You examine yourself. If you're a believer, if you're in right relationships with your brothers and sisters, then take it. If you're not, then don't. It's up to you. It's your call. Examine yourself, says Paul. What's the problem? Verse 29, the problem is we're not discerning the body. What does that mean? Can you just turn a page back, one page over to 1151? Because Paul has talked about being at the communion before in verse 16 of chapter 10. He says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving, that's this cup that we have, uh, a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Paul is saying when we take bread and wine, we're, we're saying, you know, what Jesus has done its for me. I'm part of it and it's part of me. He's part of me. His salvation has come into my life. Uh, just as the bread comes into my body and the wine or the juice goes into my body, so what Jesus has done for me comes into my life. He's not saying that the bread is Jesus and the, wine, uh, the, the juice is Jesus. Uh, the Greek actually make it very clear that when Paul said, when he uses that, he uses a different neuter and stuff. So he can't be saying that the, ble- br- the bread becomes Jesus. He's talking about the whole thing. Jesus' death is for me. And we take it... But but also, there's another side of it here, too. The body. There is one loaf, verse 17. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. That's coming up big time in chapter 12. It's hinted at here. And Paul is saying, if there are divisions between us, instead of being one body, one community we're kind of broken up. And Paul is saying, if we're coming to this meal, you know, we're not discerning. If, if, we're, if we're broken up in our relationships, if, if there are huge divisions of things between us, if you know, poor people are despised among us and rich people are, are valued and, you know, etc. You know, if there's these kind of things going on, then we're not discerning the fact that we're one body. And that's a bad thing not to do. So as we share the communion meal, if we do it honestly, we need to put these things right. If we don't do that, we're treating the wider body as if it doesn't matter. And Paul says it does matter. In fact, back in chapter 11, he says it matters very much indeed. In fact, he says it matters so much that you Corinthians are being judged by God for your bad behavior in this way. Now that's a very uh, strong, again, very strong passage here. He says, some of you have got sick, some of you have died because of this. Now, I don't think Paul is saying, well, we know he isn't, because there are other occasions when people are sick and they die, or people are uh, are not healed, and clearly, it's nothing to do with that. What it seems that Paul is saying, he's bringing prophetically, he's saying, God is saying to you, Corinthians, (laughs) that these things that are going on in your health, in your congregation are a sign of your spiritual health. In that instance, at Corinth, at that time, it's not always true of every sickness in every community. But it can be. Which is why we need to be examining ourselves and and discerning these things for ourselves. Again, (laughs) it's not for us to go around saying, oh, this person must be ill because of that. No, 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 no. Paul is bringing that insight into their community saying, Look, you know, just, just think about that, guys. But he ends on a really positive note, doesn't he, verse 30 to 31. He says, look, if you were to judge yourselves, if you examined yourselves, then God wouldn't be examining you. You'd put that right, and so you wouldn't come under God's judgment. And then he goes on to say, if you look at it, even then, this is judgment, this isn't final judgment, this is God's discipline in your life, he says. Verse 32... When we, are, when we as believers are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined. Why? So that we will not be condemned with the world. So what, what happens when, the, when is this being condemned with the world? That's the final judgment, isn't it? Paul is saying, you're not going to lose your salvation over this. But God may discipline you. And you need to be careful. Corinthians. For us, we need to examine ourselves and look to the Lord. That's it. But I want us to think about some questions. Talk to each other about them. Not now, maybe uh, over coffee, maybe in your groups. Does meeting together matter enough for us? Do we believe it matters? Does it look like it matters in our church life? Here's another another one. When Jesus says, as we, we will read perhaps again, this is for you for you. Have you got that? Have you realized that there's that personal aspect of what Jesus has done? It's for you. Have you responded to him? Is this the Lord's Supper, really? Is the way we do it? What could we do that might take it away from the Lord? Are there things that we could do? Perhaps do do as it were that takes this thing away from the Lord? How much of your Christian life, how much of my Christian life expresses itself in relationships with other believers? Do we just think it doesn't matter about other believers? Well, you know, it's all right. It's me and Jesus, that's what the Christian life is. But it is, but it's also me, Jesus, and all of Jesus' people as well. In relationship with others. Do I put limitations in my life on the people I choose to relate to as brothers and sisters? Do we do that? And how about examining your life? Do I examine my life, my relationships with my brothers and sisters as that gets revealed by the way I approach meeting with other believers before we eat the Lord's meal? Do our gatherings do good? Or do our gatherings do harm? Something to think about. Let's pray.